as people, what type of considerations do we have for our physical bodies to make it on a trip to Mars? Well, one of the wonders of the what we've done so far in, in space flight, especially on the space station, is find out we can do that. We need to provide the exercise capability. That's that's absolutely paramount. And so the the biggest challenge is going to be, some would say radiation is going to be a big problem. We I got the equivalent of about three chest X-rays per day while I was up there. So we're constantly monitored. We have a radiation badge. We are radiation workers. We get more in a mission that than terrestrial, you know, nuclear reactor workers get in an entire career. So they're they're watching us very closely to see what happens with that uh, to our bodies. And so far, nothing's really stuck out as as being a problem for us. Like people are thinking about cancer and that sort of thing. And we, as far as we know, that hasn't happened. But um, once you get out of the Earth's geomagnetosphere, you're going to be hitting getting a lot more radiation. How much? Um, still to be determined what the effect of the body is still to be determined, but that's a, that's a, something to be thinking about for me. I think the, I would suggest that the psychological aspects of being with three, I don't know, three, six, maybe 10 people going to Mars being cut off from the rest of the earth. Absolutely. Because you can't even talk to them real time. The, the light signal traveling back and forth, is going to take too long for us to have a conversation for anybody like we are right now to have a conversation so it's really ultimate isolation. And uh, once you get far enough from the earth, it's a blue dot. You don't have the joy of looking at your home planet anymore. And for a long time, for months, you would just have a blue dot and a red dot and you're traveling in between them. So all of those psychological benefits of being in low earth orbit, we're not going to have. So I think that could end up being the, the biggest challenge. Uh, but as far as bone and muscle goes, and as far as we can tell for other medical problems, we've, we've solved a lot of those or at least have a solution if we haven't solved them. The, uh, the ISS, it's going to be retired in like 10 years. And what's going to replace it? Well, the goal is, NASA's goal is to hand it over to uh, commercial uh, entities. That's been the goal for a while, um, to make use of uh, low Earth orbit in a commercial sense. So NASA can move into more of the exploration, moon and Mars, uh, part of spaceflight. So that that would be the goal. And we're, we're taking steps in that direction. We had the first private astronaut mission come up on our, uh, for, and they were up for about, uh, I think 16 days it was while we were on orbit. Uh, and it was, it was really fascinating have, having four more uh, astronauts on board with this. Uh, we had a good time together, worked really hard, learned a lot, but now there's an explosion of other companies. Some will utilize the space station. Some, uh, will probably choose not to, they're going to build their own space station. But I, I think that is the, uh, the ultimate goal, it would be hard to deorbit that thing, but the infrastructure is still strong. There are some things that have to be upgraded, like the solar panels and you know, the semiconductors on those will wear out over time to get micrometeoroid hits on the solar array. So uh, that's being upgraded. But overall, when I'm living up there, I, it's a beautiful space station. It's an incredible capability uh, for science and Earth observations, astronomy. So I... Um, really hope that it's successful and it doesn't, doesn't go away, even in 2030, which is, is what NASA's plan is for continuing to work and be involved. And then many countries contributed to that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lots of international partners. The continual presence of in space of humans from uh, U.S. and Russia has been since the year 2000. We've had Canadian and Japanese. And then um, we talk about our European partners, which is, you know, multiple European nations. Uh, I was up there with a German astronaut, uh, a French one had just come home just prior to our, my crewmate, Matthias Marr, arriving from Germany. So we get all kinds of, yeah, all countries up there. 
and who's deciding these experiments that you run? Like who decides which experiments to run? I looked at your the list on on the uh, the press release site of all the different things you were doing. They varied greatly. They, there wasn't a common theme, at least that I could pick up. Like who decides what you do up there? Well, they uh, NASA and the partner agencies look at all commerce. Uh, there's a filter there. First of all, it's there's obviously might be obvious that there's limitations in power. Uh, you can't uh, can't draw too much power than the station can provide. There's weight, uh, volume considerations. There's safety considerations. Don't want a lot of broken glass floating around, that sort of thing. Um, and for astronauts or people from the ground to be able to run it. So all of that's looked at by boards that evaluate the experiments that are coming in. And then um, it's just uh, at after that happens, I think the, the bandwidth is um, the, the capability or the bottleneck of getting that experiment up into space is the launch capability and the astronaut time to perform it. So um, I, I don't, I'm not aware of any other hierarchy that's used um, in order to get things done. There might be some really special interest things like the twin study, you know, Scott and Mark Kelly, uh, a few other things. There are um, certainly the uh, alpha magnetic spectrum spectrometer, which is out there, that was a dedicated shuttle flight to bring that up and attach it to the outside of the space station. So there's there's a lot of big science things that are going on up there. As we wrap up, what would, what would you say to kids or the next generation of people that are interested in becoming an astronaut? Oh, if you want to become an astronaut, start being one today. I don't care how old you were. You know, I, when I was in uh, elementary school or, or high school, I was just like you. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I loved this idea of being an astronaut. And so um, I read the bios, the biographies of astronauts, and I tried to copy them. And you can start doing that right now because the training really does start wherever you are right now. Do the best you can in school. If you have problems with it, no problem. Just keep on learning from that and get better and better. NASA cares that you have learned how to learn. And so uh, keep on working on it. Take care of your body because you got to be healthy to, to fly in space. Uh, at least as a as a NASA astronaut. So um, those are uh, and and stay curious. Uh, put yourself in situations where your decisions matter. As we were talking about before, you've, you've got to kind of uh, stress yourself a little bit uh, and kind of get out of your comfort zone a little bit every now and then to uh, to get better. And so if you can do all those things, you can start doing all those things, you know, starting elementary high school. Even then, you are training to be an astronaut. You're doing exactly what you need to be. So, uh, and and be persistent. Nobody got to this job uh, uh, by taking the easy road or by uh, you know just uh, saying oh, I think I'll be an astronaut. Put an application. Suddenly they become one. They were everybody's very persistent and works hard to get here. But it's an enormous amount of fun. It's worth it. Just the road to get here is worth it. It. Uh, it's not just about getting to fly in space. It's getting to work with people and, and the whole path to get here was wonderful. So highly recommend it. 